Low Line Ninjas. This is Line Ninja Radio, where we help you think clearly so you can navigate competently through your own personal line journey. Everybody's journey is different, and a cookie-cutter approach just doesn't work for Lyme disease. You need ninja skills. I'm your host, McKay Rippey, and this is episode 95 with special guest and Lyme ninja, Linda Favreau. Also with us in the studio is our certified show producer and the brains behind LimeNinja.com, Aurora. Hi, and I'm really excited about today's episode because she talks about two things that I find fascinating personally, and that's nutrition and genetics. It's a very exciting combination, and the knowledge in that field is exploding so quickly, it's hard to it's hard to keep up with all the different ideas coming out of there. And speaking of ideas, I was in Albany this past Friday, and the Stram Center, Dr. Stram, hosted a Lyme event there, and there was representatives, Dr. Hor- Horowitz was there talking about his new work using tuberculosis, old tuberculosis drugs, some really powerful antibiotics with persistent Lyme disease and having some success with that. Dr. Stram talked about his integrative center and his approach to Lyme disease. And then there was a Dr. Keim from TGen, and they're working on a really exciting test for Lyme disease. They used genetic amplification from some RNA ribosomes that they've used for other types of bacteria and viruses. And they're using this now, this technique, to sequence various forms of Borrelia. So this test, and he said that they could create a little device that could be handheld and brought into doctors' offices and would be incredibly effective and accurate. So if, if they're able to do what they say they can do, and their timeline is about two years, the the Lyme disease thing is going to change dramatically. It really will be a sea change in the next couple of years there. They're going to go into some clinical trials, some validation tests next year, and then the year after they hope to bring it out to the public, or I said to other physicians. Uh, it's just in- incredible work. I'm very excited yeah, so, about that. So this is a diagnostic tool? It's a diagnostic tool, yeah. Okay. So they've done all kinds of work with other infections, I think E. coli, and he listed a bunch of other ones, and I don't remember off the mm-hmm. top of my head what they were. And they've been very successful with that. So they know the technology works, and now it's just being applied to Lyme disease. So this test will tell you what form of Borrelia you have, and also it'll tell you if you have co-infections, and also a little bit of uh, differential diagnosis. So if you have something similar, so if you have similar symptoms, it might tell you, no, this isn't that, this is the flu, no, this is some other type of infection. So it's really going to be a powerful, powerful tool. Yeah. The other really cool thing, Dr. Ahern was there, and we interviewed her quite a while ago, but she brought in some experts who are studying biofilms and Borrelia persistence. And it was just fascinating uh, just how the bacteria get inside the biofilms and transfer DNA back and forth. It's really just a playground for bacterial DNA transfer inside a biofilm. And then there's also some fascinating studies where they're using a monkey model 
and infecting the monkeys with Borrelia, with ticks, and then treating them with doxycycline, and then having ticks refeed on the monkeys. And guess what? The ticks had Borrelia in them. So there's some real hardcore science being done, and so the tide is really turning for yeah. for Lyme disease. Well, we got a little bit off topic there, but I was very excited by the presentations at Dr. Stram's conference over the weekend in Albany. So I just want to share that all with you. And before we get into today's interview, I also want to make sure everybody has downloaded our Brain Fog Breathing Cheat Sheet. If you haven't yet, just go on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com front slash Brain Fog and sign up to get it. Okay, Aurora. Tell us a little bit more about today's guest, Linda Favreau. Linda Favreau's Lyme journey led her to specialize in nutritional genetic consulting and is passionate about helping others unlock the root cause behind their acute and chronic illnesses. Linda founded Nutrition and Your Genes to help communicate her research to others in areas of epigenetics and nutrition, better known as nutrigenomics. She believes in the importance of epigenetics and takes a functional medicine approach with her clients. Thank you, Aurora. And here is our interview with Lime Ninja, Linda Favreau. Hi, Linda. This is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio. Hi, how are you? Quite well today. And how are Thank things? Thank you for calling. Oh, you're welcome. How are things out there on the West Coast? Oh, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful right now. We still have our morning. June gloom, but um, it always warms up into the 70s and 80s, so it's just fabulous. But we don't like to tell too many people about that. <laughs> you don't want everybody, another gold rush happening, a weather rush? Yeah, I think it already did, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, you so, have had or have, depending on who you talk to, Lyme disease. Is that correct? I, it is. It is. When do you think yes. you got it? Well, um, it's been, I think, about 25 years ago. And the only reason I know that is that I did some biofeedback with a doctor about three years ago, and they had an, uh, an ability to tell me how long I had certain diseases and infections. And that's how I tracked it back 25 years, because I really couldn't figure out where I got it. And I remembered we had moved to a place where we had this big, gorgeous reserve behind our home, this wild reserve, and it was a protected area. And we'd walk down there with our dog, and we had coyotes and bobcats and deer. (laughs) And thus, we had deer ticks. And um, we took some walks down there, and we came back, and I noticed my husband had ticks on him that I pulled off. My dog had ticks on her, but I didn't have any on me that I know of. But I think it goes all the way back to that instance. So I think I either got it just from being in a family of people and dogs who may have had Lyme. Um, There's even the possibility of it being sexually transmitted. Uh, A lot of people don't know that, but Lyme can be sexually transmitted. So I'm not sure how I acquired it, but it happened about 25 years ago. And then when did you first notice that you were getting sick? Well, shortly after that, actually, you know, let's say about 23 years ago, I um, was feeling really bad. I was having trouble sleeping. I had terrible insomnia. I had um, aches and pains. And 
I went to a, a very good rheumatologist down at Scripps. This is when MRIs first came on the market, had MRIs done. And everything just kept boiling down to fibromyalgia. He said, oh, I think you have fibromyalgia. So it started that far back where I was just extremely fatigued. He identified fibromyalgia. And in those days, I didn't know what that meant. And this was pre-Google, so I wasn't able to do a lot of research. But I did a little research, and I just kind of accepted it at the time. And he put me on a um, an antidepressant to help me get a deeper sleep. Antidepressants, of course, are the answer to so many things. Yep. <laughs> from the, the conventional medicine. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't know how bad that would be for me, and that would probably damage my mitochondria in the future, but I didn't know that. Um, and I also didn't know that insomnia is one of the first clues that you probably have Lyme. That's one of the first things. So um, that was when I first started feeling bad. And then over the next few years, I just had a lot of chronic fatigue. And I attributed some of that to just life. I had um, I had gone through a divorce. I had moved my, sold and moved my home. I had a job lost. And my dog died, the one that probably had Lyme. Um, too many things happened to me that just really were life challenges. And I thought some of my fatigue was just because of, of life. So it really wasn't until about 2003, so that all started in the early 90s, and in 2003, I was diving off of Catalina Island trying to get my certification, and my heart stopped and my breathing stopped while I was in the water going down. Oh, my God. So and, is this scuba diving? Yes. Or snorkel? Mm-hmm. Okay, scuba diving. Wow. Yeah, scuba diving. So I had the tank on, and it was, I had already done a couple of dives, but this was my last one. This was my certification dive, so I was pretty excited to get it. And I had a trip planned to go somewhere and dive in another country. So um, I passed out. And according to everybody else, what happened was um, they pulled me out. They tried to resuscitate me and did the um, everything that you do. They pulled off the gear and they gave me mouth to mouth and nothing worked. And my friends told me they actually thought that if I did come back, it would be too late and I would have lost a lot of brain capacity. So... um, what they told me what happened is that they brought the Coast Guard in and the paddles, and eventually I came to while I was in the helicopter being medevaced back to the mainland. So I was out of it probably for a day or two, and they kept me in intensive care for about five days. And after lots of tests, uh, angioplast, and I had a catheterization, they discovered that um, I had what's called a heart block and more specifically, it's called a left bundle branch block. And that happens to you when you have Lyme. I learned much later that heart block is one of the first symptoms. I didn't know that. And so this block is in a particular artery feeding part of the heart. Is that what that is? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's on the left side, yeah. which is not good. That's important. And so I... Um, my mother passed away from uh, breast cancer shortly after that, and there was a lot of things to do in my family and a lot of responsibilities to support my father and my family and get things handled. And so I didn't pay a lot of attention to my own problems. I really didn't focus on myself, and I just kept moving forward. And so a few years later, I went to back to the heart doctor for a checkup, and um turned out I had even a worse heart problem. I had dilated cardiomyopathy. And I still had the chronic fatigue, but I was shocked because um, I'm, I'm, I'm a person who's really active. I've always exercised three or four days a week. Um, 
keep my weight under control. You know, I didn't have diabetes. I didn't have any of the things that I thought would lead to heart failure because cardio um, myopathy is the prerequisite, if you will, for congested heart failure. I and mean, that's your next step. And um, there's something called ejection fraction, and that's the percentage of blood that leaves your heart and actually makes it contract and goes on to the next chamber. And normal ejection fraction is about 55 to 85, and mine was under 25. Wow. So they were really surprised I was even upright. Yeah. They couldn't believe I was even functioning. So I was devastated. So that took a long time, and I still didn't know I had Lyme. You know, and that took a long time to um, to get over. And, of course, they put me on a litany of meds, and I felt worse on the medication. So I eventually weaned myself off of most of those. I read a lot of books about how to bring your heart back up in um, with nutrition and supplementation. So... I worked really hard to get my heart better, and I managed to do that. It took about a year, year and a half, to get my heart back up to almost normal. But I still have the fatigue, you know, and that that eventually became just bone-deep fatigue. You know, it was just horrible. So I kept going to different specialists. What was it? What's happening to me? So they thought I had chronic fatigue syndrome. They thought I had lupus which turned out not to be the case. There was no lupus, but um, Hashimoto's showed up, which is hypothyroid, tinnitus, and, um, and then the vertigo just got so bad I could hardly function. I couldn't walk. I couldn't drive. I just was immobilized with vertigo. So I went to brain specialists, ear specialists, just trying to find out, and, and everybody just kept telling me the same thing. All your tests are normal. <laughs> So conventional medicine definitely failed me. They don't have the right tests. They don't. They don't. And that's about when I got very interested in genetics because I thought, well, maybe this is deeper. Maybe this is autoimmune. Maybe this is genetically ignited. Maybe there's a reason for all this. I just kept looking and looking. And that's when I stumbled across um, MTHFR. And... um, I found out what that meant, and then I got tested, and I realized that I had double whammy. I have compound heterozygous MTHFR, so I have both of the SNPs, both the 1298 and the 699. And the reason that's important is because it um, your immune response is significantly impaired by one or two MTHFRs. So it it was the reason for my chronic fatigue and my loss of vitality. You know, I um, I was just shocked what was happening since I, I'd been a skier, I'd been a sailor, I bike ride, I do a lot of things, but, you know, I don't walk in a lot of wooded areas. So I really was still in denial going through this whole process all these years. I really, it wasn't until I, I chatted with a, a doctor on the East Coast about my SNPs, about my genes, and we were having a conversation, and he mentioned I should get checked for Lyme, and I thought, ah, I don't know really don't live that kind of life, but I, you know, I'll look into it. So eventually I went and had a um, live blood analysis with, um, we used dark field microscopy, mm-hmm. and that's where I found them. I saw them with my own eyes. I did my homework on YouTube, so I knew what to look for. And I saw the spirochete literally come out of my red blood cells and swim erratically around 
uh, looking for a place to hide or looking for more oxygen or whatever because it had been under a hot lamp for, you know, half an hour to 45 minutes. And so they were, they were moving. And they just moved with such velocity. They were just so strong. Um, so just like a morphed syphilis spirochete on steroids just was flying through my blood system. So how, did you and feel, I found that, how did you feel when you saw those? Well, I, I was devastated. I just broke down in tears. I just cried. I really did. Because I knew enough about Lyme to know that I had a huge, huge challenge and journey ahead of me. I just felt um, wiped out, just so, so sick. So, so sick. Because I had, right before I got the blood microscopy, I had been, um, I'd hit the wall and I'd been in bed for about three months. I wasn't able to do anything. I wasn't working. I wasn't playing. I could barely walk, let alone drive. I couldn't drive. I had people bringing me food. So I didn't know what was wrong with me. And so that's that's when it all culminated, when I went and got the um, the lead blood analysis, and I figured it out. I just, that, that just brought it all together for me. It finally made sense. And how many finally years ago sense. was that? More so that happened about, yeah, that happened about, Two to three years ago. Okay, so that's fairly um, recent compared, fairly recent, compared yeah. to 25 years. Yeah. So then... So what, I didn't discover it right away. Yeah, I've been ill for a long time, yeah. but I didn't discover it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then, so what was your first course of action? What? How did you approach... Yeah, so my first course of action, well, I, I constantly did research, but my first course of action was to go to a... Uh, there was a chiropractor here in town who was known for being able to um, fight uh, parasites and Lyme with herbal remedies. Mm-hmm. And he also had an acupuncturist in his um, office. And Yay. the two of them worked together. Yay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put that in. And um, uh, I tried that for about six months. And he used a Rife-type machine. So I did that for about six months. And I was able to eradicate the brain fog, but I didn't really feel like I was getting any stronger. So I kept researching and I, um, I eventually found a, an MD that works for Dr. Klinghart. So she's a protege of Dr. Klinghart and she comes down to Southern California every once in a while. Cause I had done so much research on Dr. Klinghart, but he was really too far away and he's very expensive. So I knew I couldn't, um, go down that road. So I started working with her. And so she, she kind of put me on track. Um, and I can talk about those things in just a minute. I just want to step back for a minute and say, I also tried before I met her, I tried, um, ultraviolet. Let's see. It's an ultraviolet system for your, it, it's an IV, an ultraviolet IV. So you and, where they had to put the probe up inside you or they take the blood out? Yes. Okay, so you had the probe placed inside you, yep. Yeah, and it's the brand new system that Mm -hmm. was out, wasn't FDA approved yet, and it's supposed to be 100% of your blood. And I did that for a few weeks, and I didn't feel any better. And I was real disappointed because I thought it sounded fabulous. Yeah, Um, and why do you think that was? Do you have any just gut sense? Well, I wondered if I was just too, too sick. Okay that it was too soon. Maybe the timing wasn't right for that. Because mm-hmm. I do know it helps some people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, some people, yeah. they would get up and walk out and feel great. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. I, uh, yeah. 
Okay. And you know that too? You know people who I've, have that experience? I've, yeah, well. I've heard those stories where people say, yeah, this is great. But I've also heard stories where – and doctors say that not every intervention works every time with every person. So there is – Right. And it, it's – right. Yeah, it probably has to do with what the spirochetes are doing, or I should say the Borrelia, because they're probably not spirochetes at the time. And if they're hiding in cyst form, I wonder if the UV right. can break them down. And the answer may be right. no, right? And right. then right. If, if the infection is not active and you're dealing with more mitochondrial damage and other fallout from the treatments and from the infection, then that's a different type of approach. You can kill, have killing strategies all you want, but that's not what the body needs at that time. Right. That's, that's what I believe too. Yeah, okay. um, I, I think that they were in the cyst form because when they came out of my, I didn't see them until they came out of the blood cells, so mm-hmm. they were in cyst form within the blood cell. And since I've had it for so long, I'm sure I have biofilms everywhere. Right. So I think they're really hunkered down. Because mm-hmm. um, when I got tested, I did the ELISA and the Western blot. I did all those, and they were always negative. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I did one of the Igenix tests that I finally came back positive. Um, so I think I just had it so long that they're just not going to identify it because your your body's making antigens, and the bug is deep down buried, and they're just not going to find it. So um, I think testing is, you know, 50-50. Your chances are 50 That's what they say, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So I also learned not only was I affected by Lyme, but I also had co-infections. So I did that testing through energetic testing. So I had a litany of those. I had Bartonella, Babesia, and Rixedia. I, I probably still do. Um, but what I found most devastating for me and the hardest is I just had this onslaught of viruses. My viruses are just kicking up like crazy, and I've heard you talk about that in the past with some of your listeners. And the viruses were just, they're just over the top. So I had to calm those down. Um, and I did, I, I do remember Dr. Klinghart saying that like 90% of his Lyme patients have the SV40 virus. And I do believe I have that one. And the SV40 virus, along with Epstein-Barr and herpes simplex and probably several others I can't think of offhand, but had a litany of viruses, and they really pull your immune system down. Um, but the SV40 virus is really interesting. That's the one that they think is from um, monkeys' kidneys that they used to grow the viruses for the polio vaccine back in the late 50s, early 60s. Yes, I've and seen. I have it. Let's let's pause it for a second because that, if you even occasionally like conspiracy theories, this is one of the best out there. So just go ahead yes, and, and Google that. It's a wonderful story. There are famous people involved. It's the Kennedys and the assassination. And I was just going to say it, that. It's, yes, it's, it's so good. Even if it's not, if it's true, it's fantastic, right? Even if it's not true, it's such a good story that it's you'll have fun paying attention to it. And, and, and well, I've already it. done it. I was just going to, I was just going to tell your listeners about it as well. They need to Google Dr. Mary's monkey. Yes. Dr. Mary's monkey. Yeah. It was a fabulous story. Fabulous. I was just, I just got the chills listening to that. And then I wanted to go to the next one, the next video. And then I wanted to buy the books and it just goes on and on. It's very interesting. Yeah. So, um, so it's very possible that the SV40 virus is in there as well. And that one's dangerous because that leads to, they do believe that leads to um, 
soft tissue cancers like prostate and um, breast cancer. And they think that's one of the reasons we have such a high percentage of those cancers in my age group today, in that generation that came up with those polio vaccines. Right. That's part of the part of this mm-hmm. conspiracy is that I, I'm right on the cusp. I'm just young enough uh-huh. that I was just in the transition and just missed getting those polio vaccine, the live virus polio vaccine. Oh, you're lucky. Yes. You're lucky. Because I do think that could have compromised me all along. I didn't know it. Well, it's one of so, those. It's one of those building block things. Like the body can handle some assault, but you right. start layering infection on top right. of infection, on top, and at some point, the the house of cards comes down. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that kind of brings me to the Nagalase test. Do you know about the Nagalase? That is a new one. Why don't you inform me? Okay. Okay, that's a short word for a long, long word that I can't pronounce. It's about 25 to 30 letters long. So nagalase is the short term, and it's a protein that's made by cancer cells and viruses. And um, the viruses would be like HIV or hepatitis or influenza, herpes, Epstein-Barr, and probably SB40. So um, the reason it's important is that nagalase causes immune deficiency. So it's in our body. And it blocks the production of GC-MAF. And you've probably heard of GC-MAF. Um, that's the protein derived from the macrophage activating factor. And GC-MAF, the reason I'm bringing this up is because GC-MAF is in the yogurt and the suppositories I'm going to talk about in my treatment in just a minute. But it, it prevents, okay, it, it blocks the production of GC-MAF, thus preventing the immune system from doing its job. So you can get a Nagalase test and um, find out what your numbers are. And my numbers were terrible, terrible. So um, if, if anyone wants to read more about Nagalase, there's a, uh, an e-book online called the uh, GC Math Book. And I'm saying G is in goat, C is in cat, and then M is in Mary, A is in apple, F as in Frank. So it's GC Math. And um, it's a very interesting book. You can learn more about it. But the whole point of, of doing this is that you want to find out where you are and you want to try and get those numbers down. So normal is, um, let me think, 0.32 to 0.95, and mine was 3.4. So I'm way up there. I'm at the level of people who have full-blown cancer or HIV. So it's really important to try and get your negalase down. And I bring this up because one of the ways to do that is uh, Bravo yogurt and Bravo suppositories. And um, there was a GC math product. I think your um, your podcast with um, the healthy guy, the healthy, the better health guy. Right. Scott Forsgren. He talked a little bit about GC math injections, I believe. And, um, very hard to get. That's pretty much been banned in this country, but they do still have GC Math, Bravo yogurt, and suppositories that you can buy online from Europe. But the reason I brought this up too is that is that GC Math is tied to vitamin D, and that's associated with our VDR SNPs. And the VDR SNPs are important because they control our innate immune system. And it just so happens that my VDR SNPs are all 
um, homozygous and heterozygous. So I have uncompromised in terms of my VDR SNPs as well as my MTHFR. So there's a multitude of different genetic patterns that pull our system down, and that just happens to be one of them. And so what the ba- why this is so interesting is that the bacteria, whether it's Lyme or parasites or whatever we have, actually disables our VDR from working. And they have an ability to downregulate 50 times. So they're downregulating what these SNPs should be doing by 50 times. And so it really cripples us. So those of us that are ill are even getting like a double whammy here. I mean, we're even more crippled. And so these bacteria um, that have invaded us are almost like protected. They have an ingenious way of evolving and staying under the radar, as you know. But they disable our, our innate ability to have an immune response. So here's another factor in pulling our immune system down. It really is a perfect storm, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It really now, is. You're talking that's, about that's a good name. specific genetic SNPs. Where did you get your genetic testing done? Okay, I, I went straight to 23andMe because it's so reasonable, and you have all your raw data, all your genetic raw data, and you'll never need to get it anywhere else from anybody. I mean, it's yours forever. And then you can use that to upload to different sites to, find, to get genetic reports that list out your variants. And do you have favorites? We're going to talk about. What, what do you suggest? Yeah, I do. Well, I have a, um, go uh, ahead. I was just going to say 23 and me. I haven't done mine yet. It just became legal in New York state and I haven't gotten around to doing it. I just got to get off my rear end and spit in a tube. Yeah, you do. You do. And it takes a long time to get your results back. So you get all excited, and then it takes forever to get it back. There's a bit of a letdown, <laughs> but it takes like six, six or eight weeks because you're so excited you can't wait, and then you have to wait six or eight weeks to get it back. So I suggest everybody do it immediately. So that's where you go to get that information. Plus, they give you all your ancestry information, and I, um, I just think that's fascinating because I have European background, but I found out my genetics go all the way back to Madagascar, which is an island off the east coast of Africa, and I'm just fascinated by that. So anyway, then I upload um, that raw genetic data to a website called mthfrsupport.com, and they generate back to you for like only $30, I believe, uh, a very detailed variant report. It's 50-plus pages, and um, I think we'll talk about this toward the end, but I use that in my business to help people do some genetic um consultation. So I, I try to help people interpret that information to help them. So I use um, MTHFR support and uh, I actually think that's the best one. You have to watch out for some of these other sites because they make, and I won't name names, but they just make recommendations that I don't think are are a wise or safe way to go. Like they might suggest that you need one particular supplement for one particular gene, and I don't believe in that. I believe that it, it's, it's, in, it's genetic patterns. You want to supplement toward biochemical pathways and patterns, not just toward the SNPs. How many SNPs are so, there? Oh, there are. I'm glad you asked. There are 602,000 SNPs. So it would be difficult to supplement That's, for each one. Yes. Now, we have about twenty-three to 25,000 genes, 
but the SNPs are the enzymes, and SNPs stands for um, single nucleotide polymorphism, and those are our variants. So when you have when you have when you have no SNPs, you're doing well, and when you have one SNP from one parent, you've got you're somewhat compromised. And if you have another one from another parent and you have two, you're a little more compromised. And what's fascinating is I've looked at genetic reports from myself and from other sick people, and I've looked at reports from an Olympian, a new Olympian that's going to go off to Rio to compete, and I could not believe the difference. This person had hardly any sniffs. They were just, they had such a clean report compared to mine. Now, here's, you may not know the answer to this, so please feel free to duck this one. Okay. Can SNPs be turned on and off? Yes. Yes, that's what epigenetics means. And um, that's basically the thrust of my whole business. Um, I'm doing nutritional genetic consulting, and epigenetics is the turning on or off of your SNPs according to um, pathogens, food, water, drugs, um, what else is there? The environment, the whole, your whole lifestyle. So genetics affect us, affect our health probably 10 or 20% of the time. But, and, and then, of course, it's metabolic chaos when that happens. But um, you can change the expression of your SNPs in about 70% of your genes using epigenetics. So it's extremely powerful. Extremely powerful. So what did you learn after you got the report back? What changes did you make and how did they affect your healing journey? Okay, I did I did several things. Um, let me just step back just a minute because before I get to the genes, because I don't want to rush straight toward that. I think it's it's an it's a foundational piece. I think it's a blueprint. But I think what happened along the way is important too. And I just want to mention this um, is that I did a lot of different things. I did a little ozone, and that's where they take the blood out and put it back in. So I did some ozone treatment. How, how I did, did you, some. I, how did you respond to the ozone? Because the UV wasn't so great, right? Right. I think the ozone worked better, but I did it at the same time that I did my IVs, so I can't tell which was better, which was worse. It's just so hard to tell when you're recovering from Lyme how to measure all this. There's no measurement except how you feel. So I think the IVs of phosphatidylcholine, glutathione, and MSM were very helpful, really cleared up my brain. Um so along with ozone and IVs, I also added in coffee enemas. I added in infrared saunas. I've done that for a very long time. I added in um, professional colonics. And, um, and this is the most important thing that I have found so many Lyme patients don't do. And so sadly, so few physicians recommend it. But lymphatic treatment is huge huge. And so we have out here, I, I think they're all over the country, but we have what we call lymphatic um, therapists. Doing lymph- and the lymphatic-, lymphatic massage, yes? Mm-hmm. Or is it something else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they use, their, they use manual manipulation as well as some machines. And it's so important. I just think it's mandatory because it plays a critical role in our um, recuperation because it's like a secondary circulatory system. 
I think we have like 50% more lymphatic fluid than we do blood. And I just think that's fascinating. So it cleanses the tissues. It does cellular repair and it eliminates toxins. And I have shared this with so many people that are not getting well, that, that are, that are not doing this. And once they start to do it, they do feel better. And I have a, an article on my website where I talk about 15 reasons why you're not getting better from chronic Lyme or from um, any chronic disease. And I go into more detail about lymphatic drainage and how important it is. So the lymph, lymph is moving out all the toxins. So everybody's real busy killing things off, but you've got to move it out. And so lymphatic offers that. So I think the combination of the ozone, the IVs, and the lymphatic work and the colonics and coffee enemas all together have helped me so much in the last, let's say, about a year, a year of that. And then I, I slowly moved into the um, genetic piece because I knew that would mean some supplementation, and I wanted to, I wanted to be feeling a little better. Um, so then I started looking at the genetics, and I started discovering all these different... Um, I'll call them my gurus. So I started studying under them and practicing under them and becoming certified so that I could take this genetic information and apply it to um, consulting, epigenetic consulting, and help other people. Cool. So So I have... um, So coming... And I want to bring back to my question before you backfilled with all the other things that you had done. And I'm so glad you did that. And then, so what information did you take from your genetic testing and what modification that you did? Like you thought you're doing, okay, I'm doing all this stuff right and I've read all these books and I'm doing all this stuff for my Lyme. You get the genetic information and you say, okay, uh, even though this is a great treatment, intervention, supplement, food, fill in the blank, it's not really the right one for me. And when you stopped it or started something else, you felt a lot better. Do you have, are there things like that you can talk about? Yeah. So what I learned, and I'll, and I'll just speak for myself, what I learned about myself is that methylation wasn't the only thing that was compromising me. I also had um, a group of other SNP patterns that were clogging up my pathways, if you will. It's a little bit like a highway. You know, there's a big accident. Everything's clogged up. You can't go anywhere. So then you, you peel off and you start taking some side streets, and eventually you get there, but what I found out for me is my side streets were blocked oh, no. <laughs> and some more of those side streets were blocked. <laughs> so I wasn't getting anywhere. So I have groups of SNPs that are really blocked. And the only way to unblock that is nutritional and supplement um, adaptions. So, so I had the methylation SNPs. I also had detoxing SNPs that weren't working and I had mitochondria and I had um, some DNA repair SNPs. So I found patterns, and I noticed that other Lyme patients have the same patterns. We all have the same patterns that are blocked up. So then I started applying different supplements, and I'm, I'm still experimenting a little bit with that. I mean, some of them are working really well uh, and were recommended by one of the um, services I have. It's called Methyl Genetic Nutrition Analysis. And that takes a, and the reason that is so great is it takes a look at you're 23 and me, but it also looks at your lab results and your symptoms that you have today and puts all this into a software and spits out about five different reports that help guide you on what to do and why, nutritionally, lifestyle, and supplementation. So I'm doing that. And I'm taking several different supplements to unclog those, 
those pathways I was just talking about so that things can start moving. And um, I've also studied a lot under Dr. Ben Lynch, and he talks a great deal about biochemical pathways. And what I like about his approach is he tells us about how to Okay, you want to either increase or decrease the movement of that pathway. If it's, and you want to take away things that have clogged it up. You know, is it a heavy metal that clogs up that pathway? If it's a heavy metal, then let's eliminate the heavy metal. If it's something we're eating or drinking, let's eliminate that and let's add in the cofactors. Cofactors being the minerals and the vitamins, um, and nutrients that you need. So it's a, it's a slow process. It's not fast. Some of it is exploratory, and it takes time to start. Because you look at a map, look at all the roads on a map. So we're, we've got a billion, what, a billion, I think, biochemical reactions going on at one time. So I'm looking at those major ones and trying to unblock those using um, methodologies from Dr. Ben Lynch and from methylgenetics and trying to figure out how to help myself and help other people. Yeah, that's incredible. You were so enthralled with this way of looking at health and particularly Lyme disease that you got into it yourself you were talking about. So tell us a little bit about your business. You have a website. Do you do consultations on the phone? Okay, right. Yes, um, the name of my company is Nutrition and Your Genes. I kept it really simple. It's nutritionandyourgenes.com. And I talk about um, epigenetics on there and nutrigenomics, which is a study of how foods affect you and your genes. And I look at four major things. Um, I look at people's bodies, terrain. I look at emotional experiences. I look at inherited genetics. I look at a lifetime of exposure. So I have different services. Um, I have a very... Uh, and I and oh um, by the way I do this for anyone anywhere in the world because we can do it by Skype, so you can Skype anywhere. I'm located in Southern California, but we can work with anybody anywhere. So I have one um, consult that's very popular. It's comprehensive genetic consult where I interpret the MTHFRsupport.com. And um, what's interesting and fascinating about that is that I look at the genetic propensity for specific health conditions and risks um, and or risks and uh, examine the epigenetic influences and discuss which cofactors and vitamins and minerals and foods would improve their health. So that's very complex and very detailed. It takes a little longer. Something that's um, also very valuable is the methylgenetic nutritional analysis, and that's the second one on my website. And it talks about how it's no longer um, a model of take this supplement for that health concern, but it's a paradigm shift that's based on biochemistry. And so I take a systematically organized approach to genetic interpretation, and we look at lifestyle and dietary suggestions and give um, nutritional supplementation that has the appropriate genetic appeal to help the body heal and naturally avoid any future issues. And so what we're trying to do with that is um, that software analysis is we're, we're trying to find the nutrient deficiency or the excess of a molecule that's toxic and harmful to the body and figure that out. And we do that through this analysis. And so we're looking for things like if it's gut and digestion, we're looking for things like zonulin and excess histamine, and we want to eliminate that. Um, we also look at ammonia and sulfates and 
<coughs> excuse me, and there's something I notice with Lyme um, patients and anyone with a chronic disease is we all have something called NOS uncoupling. And NOS uncoupling is just a real technical word that um, basically means we're producing a very dangerous free radical called perioxynitrite. And I've got an article on my website about that in more detail. But we don't want that in our body because that's harming us. It's, it's the ugly girl in the room, if you will. Um, it's very dangerous and we want to eliminate that. So I help people with these different pathways and these different um, patterns. And it, I just noticed that everyone with Lyme has the same patterns. We have iron oxidation, which is a big one. We have mitochondrial dysfunction. We have urea cycle dysfunction, glutamate issues, DNA repair, etc. So, um, so that particular service is very involved, and um, I've gotten re- really good feedback. People love that one. It's very, um, very uh, uncovers a lot. It's very eye-opening. And there's another consult I do, which is nutritionally based. It's just a comprehensive nutritional consult, and I also include genetics in that, and I provide people with a, a bio-individualized nutrigenomic treatment plan just for them. I have a Lyme clinic where I help people consult with um, Lyme folks, and also um, if anyone wants to talk to me about anything, they can just go on my website, send me an email, and I'll do a 15-minute free consult and help them determine which one of these things they might want to do that would benefit them. All right, terrific. Thanks so much for sharing all your knowledge and experience with us. I think you've opened up a lot of eyes this afternoon. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. I wouldn't have found this fashion if it wasn't for Lyme. It's amazing. There's so many of those stories is the, the Lyme and the limeade kind of thing. And it's. I True. think it's very True. important, especially once people's – I was going to mention this in, in some other post, uh, some other format, but I think I'll do, just do it now. Is, is Once people get better, it's easy to drift away and forget how sick you were and, and the community. So the community yeah. is constantly yeah. getting new people who are sick and then people who are trouble getting better. And then you get better and you kind of drift off. And I think it's important to kind of dip your toe back in if if not all the way like you've done and remind people that yes you can get better and there is a path out of here because otherwise it just seems like the community is always sick because as a uh as a community i don't know what the right word is a, a, a conglomerate yeah, right yeah. it's 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 constantly yeah. changing over so the healthy people leave and the sick people stay or new sick people come in so it can seem overwhelming and depressing at times, just like always being under that cloud. Yes. And it's not its not always yes. that way. It is possible to get better. Well, I think that's so true. I'm so glad you said that because I have tried to interview people that are well and just tried to talk to them and they really don't want to talk about it anymore. And that's so discouraging because I want to learn from them and I think it's real important that we share with each other. So what you just said is just dynamite. You need to you need to keep your toe back in there and and help other people because um, we're all different. We all have a completely different body terrain, and we're going to handle everything differently. And you need to have all these options, and you need to know what worked for this person and what worked for that person, and what happened and why not, and help others because it's it's becoming more pandemic, and everyone is getting it, and it's just. Yeah, you shouldn't move on. You should stay stay back and help others. Yeah, yeah do a little a little yeah. community service from time to time. I agree. 
I agree. I agree. All right, Linda. I agree. Yeah, it's an, so true. So true. Well, thank you so very much. I really appreciate You're your time. You're very welcome. I really enjoyed this conversation. Great conversation. You know, they say life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But I think it's more appropriate in this case to say life gave Linda limes, and so she made limeade. (laughs) (laughs) Corny but true. I love it. (laughs) You know, and we also talked about uh, our previous guest, guest, Scott Forsgren, the better health guy. And that was episode 83. And similar kind of story. His lime journey really led him to start that incredible blog he has the Better Health Guy blog. And um, it it starts with Lyme and diving into health and really educating yourself. And then so many people want to turn around and share that. And really, that's kind of our motivation here, too. We want to learn more about Lyme disease so I can help my patients in my acupuncture practice. But I also want to share my learning with everybody else, with you out there. So, you know, it's really important that once you get better, to stay connected in some small way with the Lyme community, just to let people know that, yes, there is hope that they can get better. And as a way to do that, if you like what you've heard today, if you like Lyme Ninja Radio, click on over to iTunes and leave us a review. It just really helps, and we love to hear from you, and we'll read your review on the show. Yes, we do. And here is a review from Jay Tizzle, 521. McKay's acupuncture has helped me tremendously, and now these interviews that he's sharing are a huge bonus. It's eye-opening to learn how many people are suffering with Lyme disease, and this truly is a silent epidemic. These podcasts are extremely informative, and I feel more connected listening to others tell their stories, research, and support. Thank you, Aurora, and thank you, Jay Tizzle521. And last, as you longtime listeners know, this podcast would not be complete. Matter of fact, I don't think we could end it unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know it is impossible for ninjas to get frostbite because ninjas bite the frost? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.